Right, we got Rustabello. How you doing, man? Happy Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Good. we're doing Saturday afternoon instead of uh, morning because you had some pictures. You have <laughs> daddy, mommy. Pregnancy pictures. Pregnancy pictures. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's real. It's real. It's, it's real. It's really real. And yeah. if, if we were doing a video still, but we've, uh, I, I got lazy on that. And my cameras are at different places at right now, but they would see that your hair is did. You Ugh. shaved. You got some clothes on, <laughs> some pants. Not looking like the grungy piece of shit I usually look like. No, man, you're looking, you're looking good, man. You're looking good. I, like, I'm looking like campaign Ross. I was when I was say, on campaign, campaign yeah, Ross. Exactly. There you go. Put on, we all put on our masks, right? We all, we're all wearing masks. I love this, man. I love this. I love this, Ross. All right, we got a lot of things to talk about, man. A lot of it because we missed last week. Um, let's just start off with, 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 I think, the most brutal one. Uh, pr police brutality. Or actually, police insensitivity. And I don't even know what to call it. So what happened was, is that um, a cop was driving, what, like 90 and a 40 or a 35 or something, at, hit somebody that was crossing in the cross rock, uh, I think it was a s college student, um, killed her, and literally was nonchalant during the call, just, just kind of like pulled over. Cop said, hey, uh, hit somebody, blah, blah, blah. Then, then another cop was joking about it, um, and this was all on their body cams because I don't know if they didn't know the body cams were turned on. I didn't know if they just didn't care. I don't know if they didn't know, think that this was going to be out. But not only was he nonchalant, he, the, the guy who hit the girl just said, hey, we're just going to pay a fine and, you know, go, go ahead with it. And then the cop was just joking about it. Like, it was like, oh, no, we hit one points. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was fucked up. It was fucked up. What, what, what do you think about all this? Well, I mean, I think. Um, it didn't really shock me. It, it, you hate to hear it. It's super nasty. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's not much different than, I hate to say this, and I, I really generally don't talk like this. I have a lot of friends that are pretty, can be savage with their humor and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's like Trump saying, well, we all say, you know, grab them by the pussy. It's locker room talk. Well, Okay, but you are signing up to be a public servant, which means you're really supposed to put the public first, um, sacrifice kind of yourself, sacrifice your own kind of uh, body in the line of fire and the line of duty. And, and you do that out of a, a sense of purpose and a sense of love for others and the random public. You know, so you hate to hear that kind of talk from public servants. And of course, the acts, right? We've seen the, the girl shot in Columbus recently. We, we know the history here in Cleveland, Tamir Rice, stuff like that. Um, that's the whole Black Lives Matter movement, right? And, and that's why they named it what they did, right? We, we're hearing the things you're saying. We're seeing the things you're doing. Do you not know that our lives matter? You know, that people's lives matter. And so, um, whereas I don't think this had anything to do with race or anything like that, I just think we're trying to cultivate a world where everybody's life matters equally. And that type of talk um, won't get you there. And I hope he's not parenting his kids to feel that way about random people. Right. I looked at it as, I looked at it as there was absolutely, absolutely no empathy for this person's life, no regard for this person's life. And, um, Look, I get locker room talk. I get sometimes you just have some dark humor. I get, you know, hanging with your boys and saying dumb shit. I, 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 I get it. Right. I get it. And, um, but it, 
this is, I think, this isn't lo locker room talk. No. This is disregard for one, your actions. This is something like, say, I did something fucked up. The first thing I would have done was when, was put over the car, jumped out, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh right. fuck. Right? Exactly. Try to do CPR. I wouldn't have hopped on it and just been kind of nonchalant. Hit somebody, you know, whatever. Right. You know, total, you know, I would have, I would have went and I would, I would have called care. the parents. I yeah. would have been the person that, it, as hard as it would have been, I would have been sitting there and saying, I did this, I fucked up. I'm really sorry. Now, I know his lights were on. I think he was on a call, you know? So a lot of people are saying, like, why was he driving that fast? He might have been on a call. It might have been a big, I don't know the details right. behind what his lights were on yeah, for. We don't know facts. So, so I, I, I'm, this is, I'm just commenting off of what I saw on that video What was somebody who did not regard the life that he just killed or he took, nor give a shit about the actions that he had. Now, do I, now, I don't know about the consequences. I don't know about if it was uh, involuntary or if it was involuntary vehicle homicide or, or what, how they're going to charge it, or even if he should be charged. I'm looking at the person and what he said and said, this is somebody who does, does not care about that person's life and probably doesn't care about people's lives. That's what I'm saying. That, that's exactly, these are not what you should not want to be a police officer or like I was using the example of Trump or some of our other elected officials. If you don't have a... Uh, an, a love for people if you don't really want to protect and serve. Hundred percent. And, and that's, 100%. that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. It's, it, it, it's just like uh, I referenced the movie Training Day, you know, a couple shows ago or something. It's like you've got to have a moral compass. Like you've got to have that empathy, like you're saying. You've got to have empathy for random people. And if you don't, I mean, this, these are not the jobs for you. This is certainly not the job for you. And so we've got to root out that type of mentality for sure, so. I, I couldn't agree more, man. And honestly, it's like, that is 100% like not what you want from that position, you know? And, and then the thing is, you know that it's a cultural thing within the department because it wasn't just him. Right. It was, the, it was his friend just saying, hey, we'll pay for it or whatever. And it was just like, the whole department now was in on a joke of the officer killed somebody and it wasn't a big deal. Right, it's oh. just gonna be a small wrongful death Wrongful uh, death. Don't worry, we're yeah. fine. You know, right. let's go on our day. Let's go grab some coffee. Right. Yeah. What's we'll our story? Next. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, ridiculous. That is that. I, I, there's nothing more to say about that. It's just, it was just ridiculous, and I can't believe that that's something that we saw over the past week, and that happened on September 12th, uh, 11 days ago. Yeah. Um, next thing we have in our docket today was. Um, docket. I like it. Court talk. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to start with the worst and then start getting a little better okay. um, because we're just going to get too beautiful a day to, to end on a bad note. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. This was uh, something that has been going viral for the past probably week or so. And we're really late to the game to talk about this. But the CEO, Tim um, Gurner, basically saying that we need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. He says that we want to see um, unemployment get up to you know, 30, 40 percent to really put the squeeze on, on workers get people in line, uh, make sure that we don't, we can keep wages down and make sure that people can basically, basically do what the hell we tell them to do, meaning the boss or CEO or owner class um, for the people. It was really, my first initial thoughts of this is, is it's very telling because when you're this person, they're, they're, everybody's saying like he's a greedy CEO, he's all this stuff, and it's probably true, but it shows you that from, coming from his point of view, this is exactly what you want. You do not want workers to stand up. You do not want um, to be paying people uh, good wages. This is, so from his point of view, that's exactly what he wants the economy to do. I, I think people like this, 
they have a very narrow-minded uh, view of humanity. There's 8 billion of us out there. It's different strokes for different folks. Um, we don't want to, as, as technology gets better, right? This is not the year 1900, this is not the year 1800. Funny enough, if you track the message of nobody wants to work anymore, you can find that message right. in newspapers from the 1800s. 100%, 100%. Exactly, every decade, you know, there are messages from the top class saying nobody wants to work anymore. Right. Well, guess what? Maybe human nature is I want to be dignified in what I do. Right. You know, I want to do something that I enjoy doing that creates something, right. you know, is a part of something. Right. But I don't want to be beholden to you. You know what I mean? I right. don't want to have to depend on my employer. And that's right. what we do in America and, and largely throughout the world and stuff like that. And so it's this fight between, like you said, the, the owner class and the working class. Right. And that's some of our other topics we have this week. Um, but I think he's wrong, right? I think he's disconnected from the majority. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if this class of people doesn't start taking a more holistic approach and a more caring approach, it's not gonna end well for anybody. Not, uh, not the masses, the working class, not the billionaire class, not the electeds. It's not gonna end well for anybody. So why, why you would want to say, I want 40 to 50, because I think he said 40 to 50% of people to be unemployed and essentially have to take the only job they can find. That's what he said. For peanuts. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. I mean. I, I get it that he thinks it's going to help him and his people's bottom line, but him and the, the C-suite class, their, the, their wants, their desires, their, what they think are their struggles is, is so nothing and not real compared to the majority of people's struggles that are living paycheck to paycheck. Like you can make however many hundreds of millions a year and still live paycheck to paycheck or, or live in debt, you know, be in debt if you want to. But uh, there are real people that are trying to help their family members and that can't make more than $15 an hour. You know what I mean? And, and there's just a lack of cognizance of the wealth divide from the people on top that want to keep dividing the wealth further. It's crazy. And, and so it was a crazy audio clip. Didn't surprise me. Completely disagree with him. And he needs to get well. He needs to get more aware of the population. Well, I, I want to say that I 100% totally disagree with him. But I, I want to go back to my, my point, And I think that that what well, well, that he thinks he's right and he, and he and he does think that and there is a like you said this sort of talk has been going around for the past you know centuries ever since the printed word was put on paper right, right. there was a report of the ceo or the boss saying that people don't want to work anymore and and the thing is is that we're seeing this narrative now being perpetuated in some of the um uh gop presidential candidates out on the stump right now uh, saying basically the same thing he's saying is saying that we're in, they're talking about the UAW strike as well. Get back to work. Why, you know, more of like uh, I don't support unions. Well, this is what happens when you have a pro-union president is, is people want to strike and people want to do all this that, and the other thing, you know. So it's like without saying what he said, I saw the same thing from Tim Scott. I saw the same thing from Nikki Haley over the over the past week when it comes to talking about the UAW strike. People are saying the same thing about um, the UPS drivers. Why are they making six figures? Who, why should they, you know, all they do is drive a truck. Well, what the hell does that have to do with right. it? I, I think that 
and, and so they're juxtaposing right now. You see, you see, once you get to have the workers, and I heard this from uh, some of the candidates, it's like, once the workers see that they can make them good money, now you have everybody striking. Yes, that's what striking is for. And that's what having, having organized labor is for. That's what having uni unions are for. That is what hap is having the conversation about what is my time and value worth to the company. Now, that time and value and worth to the company, it, makes, it adds up to different numbers at different points in time within the different companies. You know what UPS was doing is they were very profitable. Uh, they, were, they had better margins than FedEx and Amazon when it comes to their deliveries. Um, and they're able, and the people saw that and they said, hey, you know what, we should get paid X, Y, or Z because we are the people who are doing the work for this labor. Going back to the UAW and this talk with the big three is, look, the unions took a step back, right, in 20, uh, 2008 in the crisis. They got rid of their pensions because they're like, look, I don't, I'd rather keep my job. And this is part of the conversation. The unions aren't dumb. They're not going to sit there like, hey, I'm going to milk you for everything you're worth, close down the company, and then you know, move on. No. They, the company said, we can't pay this. We're going to go bankrupt unless we make some concessions when it comes to labor. And they said, okay, we'll take out the tiers, or, or we'll have a tiered system. We'll basically um, get, do some uh, reorganization about our contracts. We'll, we'll shift our pensions to 401ks, uh, all kinds of different concessions. Fast forward around you know, 15 years later, they saw that Ford, for example, made $21 billion with a B in six months profit, right? right? And they're like, well, okay, okay, so we're doing good now, right? So you're, we're making good products, people are buying the cars, people are making money. Now, can we get back to things that we gave up as a concession so you kept your doors open? Oh, by the way, your CEO is making $30 million a year and got a 40% pay raise over the past couple of years. Yeah, okay, so you did all that, we did all that, cool. Now let's have this conversation again about what is our labor worth to this market. And so I just see that this tweet and this um, leaked audio video from the CEO about getting people back in line, the, some of the GOP presidential candidates is kind of like the same thread of talking points of saying, just be grateful you have a fucking job, shut the hell up, do what you're told, and go home, right? What do, you, what do you think about the whole UAW thing? Oh, well, I think you're spot on. And you actually brought more color to it than I could. I, I think that was, that was very well said. Um, I think one thing that I'm going to start talking a lot more about and trying to illustrate and bring color to is, the, is this money in politics thing, right? So nobody on my street, no, probably nobody in a one-mile radius of my house, maybe that's naive, maybe it's five, maybe it's 10 miles, maybe it's 100 miles. I don't think anybody of regular means is donating Tim Scott's campaign, okay? So I think the gentleman that was talking, a Gurner, whatever, I, I think that's a good illustration of the types of people that are donating to Nikki Haley and Tim Scott's campaign at some early point when everybody knows, I mean, or everybody really, th regular people really think, okay, it's gonna be Trump, and it, A, it's gonna be Trump, B, these two are saying crazy shit. At one point, at one point Tim Scott said, we need to break the backs of the teachers union you know, in a debate. I mean, that's crazy talk. I mean, that's right. crazy talk. So, right. so I know n none of my neighbors and myself are donating to Tim Scott's campaign. So this is the class of people that run the world. This is the class of people that run the world. And uh, their talking points are going to mirror, um, you know, what this guy is saying in casual and when it's published. 
You know, that's how he thinks. Like you said, it is his truth. He thinks he's right. You know what I mean? He thinks this is going to make it better for him and his buddies. So, um, yeah. And another thing, that's why we need the media, right? We need people to know that Ford made $21 billion. We need people to know. We need these employees and the random public to know that the CEO makes $30 million a year. You know, this actor strike is another one. Um, and you're right, that, that allows people and that allows these unions and these workers to not succumb to the bullshit messaging of the, hey, we're about to close our doors. We're about to close our doors. We need, we need you to make sacrifice. You know, it's like, it's like Bill Gates telling me I got to recycle, you know, to save, save the environment when he's taking a private jet everywhere and doing all kinds of weird shit in different continents and stuff like that. It's, it's silly. Uh, it's folly. Uh, and worst case scenario, it's a knowing lie. So <laughs> now I, did, I didn't fact check any of this, but uh, this is what I heard. Uh, a couple of things is number one is that the package that the UAW is looking for for the big three with the, with with their package, not the negotiated package, just the forty percent bring back pensions, would cost uh, the big three around seventeen billion dollars a year. But their combined projected profits is around eighty three. And so, again, if, if those numbers are true. Let's be, let's, can let's, make it happen. You definitely can make it happen, right? Um, the other thing is, is that they were talking about these 20% raises and so on and so forth, but stock buybacks have went up, I think, 1,500% uh, oh. you know, over the past 15 years. It's a huge problem in, all, in a lot of industries. And, and when you have, uh, you have these uh, CEOs that are being compensated with stock, is, yeah. it, it, buybacks is the best thing to do because I get more, you get more, our stockholders, our shareholders get more, the, the people, the Workers don't get more, but in all the metrics that care to the people who are investing money in the company or the people who I'm getting paid and I'm paying myself, you look like you're doing a fucking stellar job, right? right? Oh, fucking keep that guy because I'm making money. But, and another thing is I, I, I heard is like, you know, if you look back in the day, by, like, even here in Ohio, if you're talking about Brook Park or out in Lorraine County and you worked for one of the big three and you, you, were, you had a one household income and you had it made. That was your job, you know? You stayed there for 40 fucking years and you retired from there and you are proud to work at that place. I know people still now that was proud to work at the Ford plant and say, hey, I retired from there. I worked for Ford, this was my union. Yeah, I had my pension, I loved that job. I loved it, they, they put my kids through college, I bought my house, I have my, you know, my car, yada, yada, yada. Fucking love it, you know? And they were proud to work there and they also were taken care of at the same time. You, were, you had it made, right? One income household, and, and they're, they're, everybody was doing good. We, it looks like we have a little emergency here. Second, uh, fact, uh, second or third fact I want to tell you, or fourth fact, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Um, let's just let that pass really quick. <laughs> All right. All righty then. Very good. Good job, All righty Go then. Ace First Ventura. <laughs> Go get them, guys. Let's hope everybody's all right. But 100%. we are right by the, the, the fire station. 100%. Um, so I, I heard somebody break down the facts of like who gets paid what at what, what companies. So it's like the big three, like average was anywhere from, I think Stellantis was like 68 a year. And I think Ford was the upper end at, I think it, I think it was something like high 70s or low 80s. The right? upper end was at that. The, the a, average. Okay. Like, like, so it was either, I don't know if Ford or GM was paying more, but I think the upper end was something like, you know, high 70s, low okay. 80s on average for those workers. Tesla, on the other hand, 
was getting their average. And now the only thing that they didn't know with this stat was if it included all plants, because they do have Shanghai plants as well as um, manufacturing here in the US, Tesla's average was only around $37,000. Oh. Right? Don't know if, how, if that includes the Shanghai plant or not, which obviously they're paying Chinese workers a lot less than they're paying American workers. Right. So, but it, it does kind of show you though, I, I just on the surface level, you know, like there are some questions that we have to ask oh, about sure. organized labor and, and unions and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, what do you think about Biden, Trump response to the labor? What do you think about congressional people's responses to labor? Because um, this, is, this is big. This is huge. Yeah, I think they negotiate the waters politically. I think they say things that doesn't piss off either side too much, especially Biden and Trump. Uh, and I think, I think the, the Gurners of the world and the Elon Musk of the world know that they've got to say what they've got to say, and they, they don't want to alienate anybody that's associated with unions, regular people with unions. But, um, you know, like Biden with the railroad strike and things in general, I don't believe we have any politicians that are really um, standing with workers, you know, in the, the 99%. So their messages are not that horrible, uh, but they could be so much better. They could be so much better, you know. I, I got actually a lot to say about this. Okay, okay. yeah, For, you go ahead, yeah. All right, so let me, let me get my rants out. Um, first is... Because I didn't know how to interpret it. So, yeah, you, you know... The first thing is, I hear a lot of people saying, and this, uh, um, a lot of people from, I don't know, representatives and talking heads on some on media, news media, is that the government should stay out of the free market. And, I, and, I, and I'm, like, I'm like, well, first of all, we're not, they're not in the free market. They're not in the markets. They're not in the companies. What they are is with the people, and the people are the voters. And you vote for people to go into office because they support your, you know, your, your, way, your way of life yeah. or your beliefs or and so on and so forth. And being a part of a union is part of that. You support workers. I'm going to vote for you. Once you get in office, it's not like I not support your workers then because you're part of a company. No, I still support you, my constituents, my voters, the people I told you I was going to support in the first place. So that argument is absolutely fucking weird, to be honest with you. I, I just don't understand it. The second thing I want to say is, look, I, I don't know how much you know about the PRO Act. But the, but the PRO Act is an act that has been sitting in Congress since, nine, uh, since 2017, I think. We've had majority uh, Democrats, you know, um, in there, and we still haven't pushed it through. And the thing I think a lot of people are asking, not only the unions now, but also their elected officials, is like, it's kind of like with abortion. We, like, when, when Obama was there, you had all three branches of government. 59 Democratic senators, too. And, and, and you, you could have passed abortion legislation. You could pass the PRO Act. It's like when we have Democratic majorities within these institutions, why the hell aren't we getting this shit done? And yet still we're going to talk about pro-union, pro-labor and stuff like that, these, these people that are elected. It's like the PRO Act has been there. We could have pushed it through. It could have been signed. And the PRO Act basically gives the people the right to unionize, to, um, to, uh, yeah, to unionize, to organize labor. Because there are places where you have right-to-work states and there are, you know, and it basically takes that and, and says union busting is a bad thing and so on and so forth. So we, I think we really got to look at um, the actions of our elected officials on both sides of the aisle. So all you can do is look at the actions. Is look at the actions and say, if they say this, are they doing this? And when it comes to abortion, when it comes to legislation, and the sad thing is, last thing, is like you do have abortion legislation, you know, that was in the federal level for a long time where it could have happened. Now, 
you have it gets down to the states and the grassroots people have to fight tooth and fucking nail to get shit done when it could have been and we've been talking about this for fucking decades you know decades people people are out there canvassing right now for issue one in ohio remember vote yes on issue one in november they said I, I did this in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and we keep talking about it and so I, I think it's just i think it's a shame that we don't have that first of all one People think that government should be, shouldn't be involved with issues that relate to the people, that clearly relate to the people. And two, that when people get into office, they don't actually do the things that they say they're going to do. And we have to fucking continue to have these conversations, even if you are the person, the, 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 the party in power. Right. No, no, I, I think that is so well said. I, I think that uh, I don't know who th- who stronger thinks their own party is betraying them more, right? Like, I I don't consider the Democrats Democrats. Obviously, the definitions of these words are going to change and evolve over time, but I do not consider the Democrats Democrats. I I know that, you know, Manchin and Cinema are not, literally, but I would even argue the Tim Ryans and the Sherrod Browns of the world. And I've been saying this for years. They're, they're dinos, Democrats in name only. But then hardcore Republican voters will tell you, of course, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, they're Republicans in name only. They're rhinos. So it's, um, you know, the beginning of what you said about Democratic majorities, um, I just don't think it matters anymore. I, I, I just don't think it matters anymore. I don't think that you're going to see anything but managed decline come from this this house senate and the white house and i don't think party matters and uh it, now you may okay this bad legislation or this uh billionaire tax cut is only going to happen under a republican uh administration and the democrats won't do it but then they'll just do nothing keep keep republican reagan's trump's Bush's policies in place, not overturn them, and then they'll just lose again. And then it'll be Republicans' turn to then put in tax hikes for the rich, you know, and non, you know, and no more uh, union rights, less right to strike, things like that. So it seems like the two parties are complicit, like they're working together. We'll be in charge for this four years. We won't do much of anything. You'll be in charge this four years. You'll help out the billionaire class. You'll hurt the working class. And then, then they'll switch back. Then the Democrats will be back in charge because how could you do that? You know, that's, that's insane. So it seems like you have a delicate dance of managed decline. And now, you, yes, what you said about the state level, these battles have always been ongoing. You know, it's in the Vietnam War until today and probably, you know, probably literally have, have always been happening with the masses. But uh, in Ohio, we know what's going on. It's all citizen stuff right now, whether it's um, uh, right to uh, pro-choice, marijuana, participatory budgeting, whatever the case may be, gerrymandering. Uh, it's all just the citizen level fighting for change. It is not your Democrats that you put hope in five years ago. It's not your Republicans who pretty much campaign on we're savages <laughs> anyway. So uh, it's tough cookie to crack right now, but I, I think I think you laid it out pretty good. Well, I, I appreciate that, Ross. Let's talk about um, an organized decline in, um, let's talk about Lauren, Lauren Boebert and her oh, actions. Jesus Christ. Um, and I also actually, the, there's a, I'm gonna have two unpopular opinions with this segment. Sure. Um, let me, everybody already saw, saw the video of Lauren Boebert in a Beetlejuice premiere, um, and she was um, caught, you know, fondling uh, her date, getting fondled, vaping, um, taking selfies in the middle of a movie, like literally literally just the most obnoxious shit you could do in a movie theater. 
Um, and every, every teenage person, every teenage kid knows that if you're going to fuck around with your date, you sit in the back row. Every kid knows that. You sit in the back. You, 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 then, then you could mess around a little bit. But you don't do it in the middle or the middle of the rows at the aisle seat. And during, and during Beetlejuice, <laughs> I went to Beetlejuice when I was here in Cleveland. It's oh, did a you? tour. Yeah, it's oh, a tour. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, you go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. But Beetlejuice, you're right. Everybody knows how to act when you're 16 and you're trying to fuck around, you know. And, and they, go ahead, go ahead. Go, go, go. No, that, no, that's it, man. That's it. Yeah, and so for me, that begs the question, you know, again, are we into WWE territory with this stuff? Because she's doing this shit that none of us would ever do, even those of us who, you know, uh, have misbehaved in a time or two or, or ten. But nobody would do that. It's just so unrealistic. It's so unrepresentative of, of regular people. And especially when you're like a 40-year-old grandparent. I saw her interview, and I, of course, that's another part of it. All these interviews are lined up immediately. All the outrage is lined up immediately. You know, it, it's almost like a production. And I don't care that you're new, back new into the dating pool. I know a lot of divorced 40-year-olds that are back into the dating pool. They're not going to Playhouse Square, sitting in the middle of the row, vaping and doing heavy petting and, and making out with their new date that they got on Bumble or Tinder. That's just not real. That's not. So it seems like a production for name recognition and to talk about, you know, and right. just a Trumpian type, a Trumpian type of situation. It seems very Trumpian. I, I do kind of agree that I, it could be very produced, um, that this is a thing that was produced. Here, here's my unpopular opinion with this case. I don't care about the shit she was doing in the theater. I, don't, I, I really don't care if she was... What do you call it? Let he who you know throw the first stone. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't really care. Yeah, this is the only thing I care about. The only thing I care about is the way she treated the usher on the way out of the theater. Oh, that, I guess I didn't catch this. That shows more about her character than anything else. She was she was probably drinking too much. She looks like she was stumbling. This she was not, vaping. We know she was vaping. This, this is not an excuse. I and mean, we don't know what she was vaping. It could be just nicotine. It could be okay. weed. I don't know. Right, right, right. We um, don't know what was in the vape. We yeah. don't know what was in the vape, but. She flipped off the usher. And again, this shows character. I don't care if she's out on a date and getting friskier or doing whatever, you know, it's vaping in movie theater. That's just stupid. But you know, fine, taking selfies, that's just rude. And, but I think the, the way that she treated the person that had to do yeah. the job, the, person, the employee of the um, theater, probably making hourly, an hourly wage said, hey, Boss says you gotta go, you gotta go, you know, trying to get her out of there, and she's basically talking back to him. I think she did do the whole, do you know who I am? And I know the mayor, and I'll call the mayor, do you know who I am, sort of thing. And then flipped the guy off on the way out the door, and probably made a whole big steam with probably profanities uh, like laced in there. I would never have done that as not even an elected official or a congressperson or a senator or a president or whatever. Never would I have treated somebody like that. And that shows more about her character than anything else. No, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And, and again, I will equate it to being Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you're giving people the double bird and you're drinking and you're doing what you want. And, you know, fuck the usher. I mean, again, I'm a Playhouse Square season ticket holder. I just went to Timmy, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler on Thursday night at the theater. When I went to Beetlejuice, I didn't the play. Cleveland has the second biggest theater district in the country behind New York. I don't see anybody vaping. 
I see some little kids that are playing with their candy that might distract you from the show or something like this. I don't see, I see a fuckload of couples. I don't see heavy petting. And if I saw, I would watch. I would, I would laugh and I would elbow Lauren. I'd be like, hey, look at them, look at them. We've all been in a theater and seen it at some point in our life, a movie theater. You know what I mean? But it just seems so produced and she seems so horrible. You're right, she's just like uh, the cop. She doesn't have any empathy for anybody, you know? And, and it's, it's just, why does our world have to devolve in this? And then it's, it's, it wins the news cycle for a whole week. It wins the news cycle for a whole week. So, and they're not going to fight for any union workers or nothing like that. No. They're fighting for name recognition no. and news cycles. And it's, it's just a shame. We can do better than well, this. Well, I think that she's going to absolutely lose um, in her upcoming election. You know that uh, she only won by like 600 votes. And so. I don't know about that. That might have to be one of our bets. That might you <laughs> think that Bobert's going to pull it off? Against, uh, what is his name, Adam Fisk? Adam oh, Frisk? I, see, I haven't followed. I haven't followed. She so. only won her election. And it, I know that. It was, it was yeah. a, I think it was a recount, too. Yeah, so yeah. Close. I knew or that it was. three times. I know it's a 600 vote. Um, I just know she gets a lot. Like, there's a huge part of, the, of her base that will donate for her on this, on this type of stuff. Hey, she's in the news. She's fighting for me. She's one of the five that said, fuck McCarthy you know, and didn't vote for McCarthy as House Speaker. You know, I watched the callers on C-SPAN um, that whole week. You know, callers in C-SPAN were loving it. Like, yeah, don't vote for McCarthy for Speaker. You know what I mean? I, I don't care that they're holding it up. I like that they're holding it up. So she's going to raise a lot of money off her fuck everybody mentality and attitude. And I might be willing to lose a bet to you on that. We'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I... <laughs> She's. I, I. I would be very surprised if she wins. <laughs> well, Carrie um, Lake lost, and and Carrie Lake did some of. Carrie this. Lake was horrible. Yeah, she was horrible, just like this. Yeah, I Trump mean, she, lost the second time. I mean, look, she was she was a bad candidate going against a very good candidate. You know, um, and I think that's what we're gonna, we're going to see in the Bobert. Okay, so again, this kind of threads into another topic that I have an unpopular opinion about. Um, what do you think about um, Senator Fetterman and the whole rule change about? wearing uh, suits on the Senate floor. Oh, I didn't, I did not oh, read come this on, headline. Ross. This you wasn't on this? the list. No, I didn't see it. You know, go ahead, explain so, it. So, um, um, Chuck Schumer, obviously the majority leader, um, he, it, he set a new rule for the Senate floor that said that senators do not have to abide by the dress code. And that means that Fetterman can wear his Carhartt hoodie and his shorts and his sneakers to the floor and he can fake like he identifies with the people. I did see, I, so I didn't see the rule change. I saw J.D. Vance's tweet about Zelensky, and it was like, hey, how are you going to let Zelensky dress like this? And blah, 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 you know. It, so I didn't know about this of Fetterman and the rule change, but. Um, so, I mean, it, so the, the rule change is that the senators don't have to. And this is like a, in the wake of um, uh, Kristen Cinema and Fetterman and their styles and whatever. And so now the senators don't have to abide by the dress code, which was basically a dark suit, tie, you know, whatever. I mean, is this casual for ladies? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No open-toed shoes. I think it was uh, closed-toed shoes. Uh, cover your your sleeves and stuff like that, or your arms. Um, but but the rules stay in place for the staff. <laughs> so only the senator, right? So only yeah. the senators can break the rules, but the staff still has to abide by the the, the rules. Which, one sense, uh, a very, 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 very bad precedent in taste and I bet everybody's mouth, including the staff. Um, but what do, you, what do you think? Do you think that 
dress code should be on the center floor? I think no shirt, no shoes. Like I, I think there should be some base form. Uh, as we talked about today with me and how I'm dressed, uh, I'm not one for, I'm, I'm a little bit of a break the mold guy in that. If, if you want to call Fetterman that, if you want to call me that, I, I don't really like to adhere to, I hated wearing a suit at the Justice Center, but I did, right? I was in court every day for seven and a half years. When I worked at a law firm before that, I wore a suit every day. I hated every second of it. I, you know, so if I, was, uh, if I was the overlord of Earth or the Senate, I would relax the dress code myself personally. But it would, again, it, it would be, there would still be a baseline, right? It, it wouldn't be no shirt, no. I saw a guy naked in the Dallas airport this week. <laughs> he couldn't be naked, you know, but I would, uh, I would let, let people relax. And of course, so you that would that, go for the staff as well. So it do you would, think that the, the, the Carhartt hoodie and the shorts and the sneakers is acceptable for a senator to be wearing on the center floor? In my in my warped, I remember this is view of humanity. Remember, this I do is something that fine. this remember this is going to be uh, to all world leaders. This no. is the United States Senate. The t- hundred there's only a hundred senators, right? Yeah, I, I I myself probably wouldn't go Carhartt hoodie and, and shorts, but I would I am fine with with business casual, including some form of short. You know, so um, again, different strokes for different folks. I don't men's dress like the suit uniform type i lived that life for a decade i actually don't agree with it i i I don't i do i think you can present yourself in a presentable fashion without wearing a suit so what i would do is yeah i would allow people including their staffs to dress more casual and yeah it would be i would have a real lax dress code if i if i won mayor of the city of cleveland you would see me in some casual clothes and it would be okay for my staff to be casually dressed and not just friday not just friday (laughs) <laughs> that's where he i'm said at not just friday not just friday not just casual Fridays. I, i'm i'm gonna have to and this is my unpopular opinion i know there's a lot of democrats that are uh, mostly democrats that are saying like what does it matter just you know he's a he's a senator and it doesn't matter you know what he wears i i i disagree i disagree hey, look i wore a suit every every day for a decade myself and at first i hated it I hated it. You know what? I, then I realized I look damn good in a damn uh, suit. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Uh, like men in suits look good. We do. Their suits are made. That's why men. That's men's fashion is because suits are almost timeless. Men look good in suits. They're also very expensive. They, I, I think a senator can can get yeah. pay for a suit. Um, if, if not, there's some kind of compensation for it. But um, look, here in I, there should be you know some conversation for us, the staff as well, especially interns or whatever. Um, but look, I, I, I personally think that, you know, having a standard for, you know, dress wear on, on the floor, not, look, not in your office. If you go into the Capitol and you're wearing, you know, tennis mm-hmm, shoes right. and you just came from the courts. I mean, I know, I know. Like, talking uh, about in the chamber. Yeah, I'm talking about in the chamber. I know yeah. Ted Cruz came from the, uh, uh, like a basketball court one time and then ran into the chamber and had to put on a to vote because he was out playing basketball. And they're like, hey, we're calling a vote. And he's like, oh, shit, I better get over there, you know. Um, so I, I get it. I, I get it. And it, you know, if you're in your office and you're hanging with your staff or you're just going over there and you're shooting the shit, you're down the gym, whatever, it doesn't matter. But when you get into the chamber and, and C-SPAN's on you and, 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 and uh, the eyes of not only the nation, but your, your constituents in the world are on you to be making choices that not only affect the lives of your constituents and your states, the country and the world, because the Senate is making rules and, and debating topics that is going to influence the world. I think you should dress appropriate. 
Hey, I, I have no problem with that. And I ha again, I same as you, I literally wore a suit every day, but we did do casual Fridays for 10 years, right, as a lawyer. But um, for me, I think that it's becoming harder and harder. Like, it, again, so it works for me. I'm fine with that. I'll do that if that's the rule. I probably wouldn't set that as the rule, but I'm fine with that as a rule, and I, I can respect that. I understand that. It, it doesn't not work, to, you know. I think why they maybe changed the rule for these guys like Fetterman and Sherrod Brown is it's getting harder and harder and harder for these politicians to kind of virtue signal or show their voters that I identify that with That is exactly why they did it. Yes. And that's my, my personal opinion. It's about how Politics. did I create a brand? How do I associate? And this is what they said on another news show. I can't remember what it was. He's like, he's like, they're like, it's only a matter of time. So everybody starts wearing their flannels in for wherever district they're from. That yes. we're wearing flannels <laughs> right. is, is is the thing that shows you you're part of the people, yeah. you know. And and it's, it's just optics politics. It's optics politics. It's yeah. optics politics. Mm -hmm. and, and but I do think that there is a stand. Look, one thing when I was campaigning, I set myself as a goal for myself is I woke up every morning and. And I got dressed nice. I, I put on I put on pants. I put on a, on, a, on a nice shirt. I tucked in my shirt. I put on my belt. I got myself done up like I was running a campaign. Why did I do it? Because it makes me feel better. It made me feel more serious about the the job that I'm, I'm applying for. Um, and and you know what? It does change your attitude. If, if I'm doing their call time in in uh, in, in you know, my pajamas that I didn't change out of for eight hours. You know, I woke up in the pajamas. And I'm doing call time. I'm doing stuff in, on, online on Zoom calls. I don't need to, you know, wear pants. No, it changes how you present, you go toward the job. And I, I do think there should be a set of decorum for the Senate, to be honest with you. And That's I do fair. think it's a suit. And I think that everybody should be dressed to the nines, honestly. If you, once you get into that chamber, a sense of respect for the people, the constituents, the, the office, the, the, the nation, and the world should be set there and that's what i think unpopular opinion some people are like why do you even care i don't know I, I'm, I'm not gonna campaign on it or um it's not gonna be a hill i'm gonna die on <laughs> you know but I, it's my opinion no 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 it's fair and i don't think it's wrong i don't think there is a right or wrong i really don't think there is a right or wrong uh i think you should present yourself uh competently you know professionally and competently uh for what it's worth and again i, I did it forever so i i and I know what you're saying about the mentality too. When you get up at seven in the morning and put your suit on, you're you're more energetic. You're more focused on this or that. I, I think, uh, you know, you're, it's not a robot. You're not flipping a switch. But I do think it's it's akin to taking care of yourself, right? You take care of a dog in a certain type of way. You take care of yourself in a certain type of way, and you you go to work literally. That's but but you know, I think people go to work uh, in different jobs without suits and. You know, they might be in a Carhartt hoodie, and that that works for them too. So uh, it can change. It can change. I, yeah, I, I disagree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, do you want to talk about uh, Russell Brand? You have it on here. Oh, I think we have to. I mean, I, I think it's a significant story. All right, talk about it. Well, um, the Times in London or UK come out with a story about four women that ten many years ago, seven ten years ago, or something like this, maybe even more. Um, said, you know, he did some very um, sexual abuse, sexual pressure, uh, rape behaviors. And so that's what's been in the news the last week. And, and Russell Brand has come out with one kind of semi-bullshitty apology and one kind of, hey, we're broadcasting on Monday. 
there's a reason they're coming after me, but you know, not Biden, not um, Richie Sunak, not the powerful. They're coming after me now because I'm, I've been coming at the powerful. I've been telling people to distrust the news. You know, so in his first thing, he kind of disputed it, but more said, I don't really want to talk about it because these are super serious issues. A couple of the letters are very concerning. Some of the stuff I've been sent is irrelevant. It's kind of stupid. And so um, I, I'd like to hear him more be honest about his former behavior. I mean, a lot of us kind of, if you would have put a gun to our head and made us bet, hey, did Russell Brand sexually assault or abuse women that worked under him uh, from when he was like in Getting in the Greek and all those popular comedy movies and all this, a lot of us, I think, would have said, oh, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to be a woman and work for him. Or I wouldn't want my daughter working for him. <laughs> you know, so uh, in that sense, it's kind of weird because I think we all assume he's a Weinstein type, Matt Lauer type figure to begin with. Not that that makes it right, of course, or anything like that. Um, but his thing and, and Rumble's thing is, you know, we're going to power on challenging these systems. We're not, I've told you I was a sex addict or this or that. Um, we're going to challenge the, the, the powerful who they're not telling you about and blah, 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 blah. So I, I think he's got a monstrous audience. I've been a fan of, of some of his stuff. I've been a fan of some of the guests that he's had on, like Dr. Vandana Shiva, um, so, some other meditation people. Um, you know, I haven't been a fan when I see he has on DeSantis and Vivek and um, Candace Owens, then I'll go a month without watching, right? Because it's all, and Donald Trump Jr., things like that. So uh, he's a polarizing figure. I don't think this is going to hurt him with his audience. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to bring any criminal charges. Um, I also think this is kind of like, hey, I don't think YouTube should be, the same way I don't think a police officer should be judge, jury, and executioner of somebody that is, they're going to charge with a crime or put in handcuffs. I don't really think that YouTube should be the arbiter of, you know, hey, Russell Brand is now accused of raping four women 10 years ago. All of our other content creators that are on the platform, we're not demonetizing them for nothing they've done 10 years ago. Russell Brand, we're demonetizing you. We're de-boosting you. That doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, it's a weird time in the world with these powerful men that do this horrific stuff. And I don't think that it's just Russell Brand and Weinstein and the people we know about. I definitely think it's the people we don't know about as well. Yeah, look, I, 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 there's been multiple people that come, came to me and told me the same thing about uh, Brand. And they said, oh, you know, something's happening with him. Something's going on with him. Um, they either people who consistently watched the show and saw that there's a change that was happening with him. Like probably this was happening in the background before it came out to the to, the foreground. Um, but I, I do want to. I, I do think, and then we have the court of public opinion, and then we have you know the demonetization that you mentioned uh, by YouTube. YouTube basically demonetized his channel, and other people are are following suit. Um, I think that that is a very very and of course they're a private company they can do these things um but i think it's a very very bad precedent that we're starting to set where public opinion is be is is your this is public opinion that we have two things either public opinion thinks you're guilty and therefore you are guilty until proven innocent and 
and, and, and that's in public opinion. Sometimes you're, even if you're innocent, you're still guilty in public opinion, you know? The other thing is, is that we are allowing um, private companies the uh, ability to, remember, he, he makes his money doing this. This is how he makes his money. He has a show on YouTube, uh, on Rumble, and so on and so forth. I think Rumble is a bigger platform. But it's like, hey, you know what? You're going through some stuff. Um, we don't work for me, but, you know, instead, we're just going to, you know, demonetize you and deplatform you until you sort your shit out, which is kind of kind of not right. You know, not we, right. It's, it's not right. Um, accusations should not lead. Accusations are just that they're accusations. And that's why if you're a journalist, you say alleged this alleged that. But when you have public opinion and these companies actually taking action on these uh, alleged situations and accusations, we have a place where accusations and, and, and alleged situations become the way that, and this is part of your WWE politics yes. game. It's like, you don't have to say the truth anymore if you just make an accusation and watch public opinion go with it and destroy your, co your competitor. Right. It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be right because you'll get demonetized, you'll get deplatformed, people will go after you, you know, stuff like that without the standard of rule of law or innocent until proven guilty or some things that are basically found, found, uh, foundational in the United States. Last thing I want to say to this is I really think that the Constitution is in jeopardy more so than we think it is due yeah. to private cor corporations taking the um, constitutional protections that we have and turn it into a private corporation co uh, conversation. Freedom of speech. If you're in a private cor corporation, that doesn't because you're a private corporation. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Well, we're a private corporation. We can do what we want because this is our, our business, right? Wait a minute. So right. that's now being weaponized by Congress, by politicians, by people against other people because now you're in this you know, private yes. sector. Now we can just take away that constitutional right because, ah, you know, with Twitter's conversations, Rumble conversations, YouTube conversations, true social is a derivative of those conversations that, that move somewhere else. Like it or not, that is what happened. Right, right. Um, we're talking about demonetization. We're talking about guilty. Uh, guilty. We're talking about self-incrimination. We're talking about Fifth Amendment. We're talking about, you know, um, we're, yeah, we're talking about the, 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 the rule of, of court procedure. All that's being taken away within this private corporation saying, but, but they're a private corporation. So where does the Constitution apply, especially since we're more and more online, more and more social media, more and more digital, more and more. That's our realm of conversation, yes. not out here on the bully pulpit, on a soapbox, literally on a soapbox in a county fair where those are protected. We're talking about this is where. So it's almost like our Constitution is being. Private companies are being weaponized against our rights and freedoms. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that these corporations, um, some of whom back the government are, and are backed by the government, and some not as much, have become far too powerful. Too powerful than certain countries, right? Like take a globe, pick a random country and say, hey, is Google more powerful than this country? Is 3M more powerful than this country? You know, is Twitter more powerful than this country, Tesla? And it, it might be, yes, the corporation might have more employees, certainly it has bigger GDP, things like this. So uh, we really have got, I've, we've talked about this on other podcasts, we've got to move more toward human rights. And uh, I worked in the court system for a felony court, right? For seven and a half years. I mean, you can't, YouTube cannot, which is Google, which is alphabets, right? These are huge shells. Uh, 
alphabet cannot say, you know, the, the allegations are good against um, Russell Brand and Kyrie Irving and Harvey Weinstein, but they're no good for Bill Gates and Bill Clinton and Joe Biden, right? And you can't operate that way. You can't, if you want to be a court, that means fairness and equality to all people. And so um, those corporations need checked with, with either, either our current constitution, hopefully, and we've seen there's a big case, uh, Missouri versus Biden going on, which is basically the Twitter files and oh, Facebook. What's that? Tell oh, me about that. It's about government um, actors, the White House, telling Twitter and telling Facebook to demonetize, right? De shadow ban, censor, demonetize very random accounts of Americans like Joe Blow 69. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> Matthew, Mary, and Jane uh, 420. Like it, it's, and it's like, hey, they've broken policy. They've done hate speech. Since this account's got 412 followers. Like <laughs> it's, it's silly. So um, you've got the government along with these very powerful pri private, I'm putting in air quotes, corporations. Because if you're interacting with government and if the government can um, tax you differently or regulate you differently, then really are you private? And they're choosing to regulate TikTok harder than they are Facebook and Twitter. Uh, are they really private? I mean, there's a partnership there, you know? So uh, if you're censoring people, uh, whether it's Joe Blow with 412 followers or Russell Brand with 6.5 million followers, you're taking the law into your own hands. I mean, I get it. You don't have the power to put them behind prison bars, but if you have the, the power of the purse, right? If you can block up their GoFundMes or their, their YouTube monetizations because you say that they've said something hateful or somebody, they can hurt their audience because they've sexually abused somebody in the past. I mean, that's just, you're not the court, you know, you're not a prosecutor. You didn't run for prosecutor, you know, <laughs> you're not on a jury. So uh, I think there needs to be new checks and balances, new checks and balances. I, I, I agree. Now, look, I, I want to, <laughs> we're having this conversation. I don't want to downplay any allegations. I don't want to, you oh, know, no. take it as like, oh, we're just, you know, throwing the allegations and the seriousness of that to the wind. But I do also want to have the conversation about the role of these corporations and, and what that actually means to freedoms, um, our constitution, our liberties, uh, like you like to say, is human rights. Um, both have to coexist in the same spot. Uh, serious allegations have to coexist with the rights and freedoms of our constitution. Um, they have to coexist at the same time because that's what makes a society that, um, you know, has fairness in it. There, and again, it, fairness is the big word, right? I don't really care what you do to Russell Brand. I don't give a shit about Russell Brand. He's very rich. He's very famous. He's probably mistreated a ton of a ton of people. I don't give a shit about Russell Brand. But treat him the same way as you would treat Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, and and a random citizen, right? I've seen random citizens get charged and get put away with very serious crimes that deserve to get put away. And a jury of 12 unanimously found them guilty of the act and put them away in, in, in prison for a long time. So justice, or like you said, fairness, is something that needs to be universally applied. And that's what we don't have right now. We need universal application. You know, one thing I, that's a little bit off this topic, but again, it goes to corporations and the corporate um, uh, partnerships that they have with government. I was watching this talk by uh, uh, Bill Gurley, and Bill Gurley is a, an investor, but he had this talk about um, regulatory capture, and he was talking about like 
how regulation is shaped by um, corporations and how it's corruption because what you end up doing is killing out their competition for them. Basically, it's saying, basically the whole talk was um, decades of proof of saying when a company goes to the government and says, hey, regulate us, let's create regulations around this, this uh, industry, basically it's saying Verizon going out there saying like, hey, let me help you write the reg legislation, the regulations, and help me kill my competitors so I can be regulatory compliant with the new regulations. Right, right. You know, and it was very interesting. Oh, and, it's corporate warfare. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. It was very interesting. If anybody looks up. Yeah, uh, I'm going to check that out. Was it Bill Gurley? I'll send you the link later. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out because I, I've been imagining this for a long time, right? We talk about these um, politicians trading stock in Facebook and things like that. And I've been very interested in this for a long time. I want to know how Tesla, right? Like you said, Tesla's paying their workers $37 an hour. The other one, or 37000 a year, I'm sorry, 37000 a year, and Chrysler, and it's not Chrysler anymore, uh, four of them are paying 70000 a year. Well, guess what? The owner of Tesla just bought Twitter. The owner of Tesla's got Kirsten Cinema in his pocket, you know, Joe Manchin in his pocket, things like that. He probably wants uh, those auto companies regulated a little bit tougher than his own auto company, you know, things like that. So that's a very interesting topic. I personally have a conspiracy theory about the this UAW strike. Not that I don't think that this strike should happen. I personally think it was instigated uh, by either Tesla or China uh, as a way to see if they can start uh, messing with their composi competition. To either the supply chain, their production, their, their forward movement on EVs or this uh, market that they're trying to capture. Um, also try to, you know, mess with their bottom line a little bit. Just, you know, just so I, I personally think that I, I, I will I, not rule it out. I wouldn't would rule it out. Now, again, I want everybody who's listening to say that even though I think that there might be a conspiracy behind it and I think that it makes strategic sense for them to do that, doesn't mean that I don't think the UAW shouldn't be striking and fighting for better wages. Two things can exist at the same time. Sure, sure. And I am supportive of the workers right. and the union workers. But um, the, these, these uh, billionaire oligarchs, they don't want competition. They don't want a free market. That's... Uh, uh, that's PR. That's messaging and marketing. They want to own everything, and that's why you need a strong um, uh, Department of Justice, SEC, uh, you know, Federal Trade Commission, FTC. That's why you need a strong government to in, to to have those checks and balances. Because if Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos could own it all and pay us. $1 an hour, they would own it all and pay us $1 an hour. And they would tell you it's good for you. Trust me. And they would believe that. They would believe that. You know, just like the very first guy we listened, we talked about. They would believe that that's good for us all. Another thing that was on the docket today, and now we're going to just shift away a little bit from politics before you shift back into it, is this King, Tim Cook thing. Since we're talking about corporations, is Tim Cook, he put out, um, as everybody knows, uh, iPhone 15 just got released and there's new Apple Watches. They basically look the same as before. It doesn't matter. Um, Ross is over here using his iPhone. Is it a seven? <laughs> it's like a six or a seven, yeah. A six or a seven. <laughs> I have old. a ten. <laughs> I, I, I am chomping at the bit to buy a new iPhone, but I don't want to. But they, they, they put out a commercial the other day about going carbon neutral. And they said that their Apple Watch, their, their Apple Watch 9 was their first carbon neutral product. The interesting thing is I wanted to talk about this one is um, on the surface, it looks like carbon neutral looks like a good thing. And there was a CEO of another company called, um, it's called the Nothing Phone. I think it's called Nothing. 
Um, and I really, I really like the way that they're doing their, their uh, marketing and their company. So I watched the CEO quite a bit. Can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. But he was talking about what does carbon neutral mean when it comes to uh, the Apple Watch. Or he, he, he said, look, when we started, we were carbon neutral, right? But what happens is, is you have these carbon credits that companies, you know, are in surplus. And so if a car, so for example, if a car, you know what carbon credits are, right? You can literally trade carbon credits. Um, so if you are a company that is carbon neutral and you produce a lot of carbon credits, you can actually take those credits and trade them with other companies or sell them to other companies to offset the carbon of their company, for example. And so he said that this whole practice is kind of fake. For example, you're a very green company. You have you, you use a lot of soil, but you have you, you have a lot of carbon credits. You have a surplus of carbon credits. Sell it to Apple. Okay. If they if they buy those carbon carbon credits, it, it, those carbon credits could actually are, offset the carbon footprint that you're actually um, producing for your products. It doesn't mean that you're having recycled goods. It doesn't mean that you, uh, well, it's, all, it's a balance sheet. It's like an auditing type thing. Exactly, but for carbon, yeah, for, for carbon and CO, um, uh, carbon emissions. And so he said that probably that's how it's working here is that they're just basically purchasing carbon credits to offset a one product carbon footprint and then claim it carbon neutral. And he said, we used to do that. He said, I feel fake doing that. It, didn't, it doesn't make sense. Like people, people know that that's not a carbon neutral product. It's like, because you take the physical product, you have a physical product and you throw the product away you know that it's something it's not carbon neutral you know so i thought i just want to bring that up oh I thought yeah it was i'm glad very you, interesting i'm glad you explained that because um and there's probably more to explain right and i've never felt comfortable on environmental policy i've never felt comfortable i have a lot more to learn but what you sent me the five minute commercial was literally the way i viewed it was this is a commercial this is propaganda <laughs> and so um it was very well done but uh, I don't buy that uh, that Apple is here to save the environment or at, at any point here, 2030, 2050, yesterday, uh, you know, it felt like full blown positive spin propaganda to me. I don't think I can trust it. Uh, but I do. I, I've been trying to learn a little bit more on energy, <clears throat> energy policy and environmental policy, and uh, I'm going to continue to learn more about it. Well, another thing I always want to bring up is when they're talking about the carbon neutral and being, you know, sustainable and environmentally friendly when it comes to the app, the Apple Watch, they used to have these, um, they used to have a partnership with uh, Hermes, right? And they used to have very high-end Hermes um, leather bands and stuff like that, cost hundreds of dollars, right? Well, they stopped leather cases for their iPhone, they stopped the leather bands for their Apple Watch. However, you can still go to Hermes' site and buy the Apple Watch with the leather bands. Okay. It's still the Apple Watch. You know, so it's like they don't have it on their site, but Hermes still has it on their site. And so it's like one corporate of those things shell, like, corporate uh, shell. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, yeah, does it really, yeah. are you really doing the thing that you say you're doing and <laughs> you're still selling not. the product yeah. over there with the thing? Yeah. Like, well, they're, they're again, they're in it for corporate profits and a large segment of the public is turning on, um, you know, an anti-environmentally friendly uh, corporations. And so they want to. Uh, they probably want to do it genuinely, but that comes second to profit. And a part of profit is appeasing your customer base, which is lying to them or shading your shading your your work in a rosy kind of way. Let me let me put some positive because we always are very skeptical and cynical when it comes to our commentary. But here's a positive about Apple. Number one, they're always getting blowback for this kind of stuff. Everybody calls it woke. Everybody says you know whatever. They're really 
to be honest with you, it's really brave to put out a commercial like that, to actually take that stance, to really make it part of your ethos uh, as a company that says, we're gonna try to do this carbon neutral. Fake or real, buying carbon credits or not buying carbon credits, making their, their, all their, all their um, uh, laptops and phones and whatever made out of uh, recycled aluminum anymore, which is really kind of cool. So, which we would have, somebody would have to audit it. Um, face value, we're gonna trust them. Um, it, it, it's very positive. Another thing I really want to point out is um, the way that they operate when it comes to their staff. They have a lot of freedom. Like they're really open, openly um, uh, supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, they're really supportive of different people and lifestyles and looks. It's not like they have like a standard, like it's not like you're, when you work for Apple, you're working for the Yankees. You have to cut your hair and be clean shaven. You can walk into an Apple store, you're gonna see people with tats, you people with piercings, people with long hair, short hair. Um, you know, freedom of expression. Freedom of expression, freedom of people. They're not like judging how you. They're judging that you as a worker, and so you really have a whole gamut of old and young and and, and all kinds of people. If you go into Apple store, it's it's like one of the most, you know, diverse places Forward that you can. Thinking. Yeah, and and, and like. And they, they actually have a lot of freedom when it's like, what, I mean, they all wear their Apple shirts, but like you wear jeans or shorts or shoes or slippers or Crocs. They don't really care that yeah. much, you know? And so they have a lot of really forward kind of progressive thinking of how to run a good company. And it really shows that you can be inclusive. You can be open. You could be environmentally forward thinking. You can, you, can, um, you know, be socially um, progressive and still have the biggest fucking company in the world. You know, and I think that is a of very course. good case of saying like, hey, for all you people that say you can't do this, we're a three trillion dollar company. What's your problem? Yeah. And yeah. I, so I, I want to put that out there to say that is a very powerful thing as well. Yeah, that's fair. I think what you're saying is a, a compliment. Like, hey, you're putting this out there and you know that there is um, this also the other group that's very anti-woke. You could get DeSantis and DeSantis supporters saying, you know, boycott Apple, you know, things like this. And to no, you're going for it you know, good, uh, thank you for attempting some form of progressiveness, even though you may be lying with some of your stuff, your employees certainly feel uh, like they have a shot to, to be themselves and, and, and enjoy their workplace possibly. And I, and I do think that Apple has been trying to figure out how to navigate a lot of things when it comes to work from home, to going to work, to, um, there's been a lot of like inner um, company discussion about what their social goals are um, and they've been navigating but I will say that they're still the biggest company that even that a lot of people say that this is a bunch of fluff this is a bunch of bullshit you again back to employees why are you giving employees so much power to have these conversations tell them to show up to work and get the job done anti-woke you know anti you know climate change and whatever um, it just shows that there's a very big there's it's I respect the boldness of it, and I also you also can see that there is a very big, very profitable, very successful company built with still having those conversations. You know, so I I, I just wanted to put that out there because I know we like to throw shade on a we lot do, of stuff. We do. We're skeptical. We're skeptics. We're definitely skeptics. Um, let me see. Here. We have a couple more things on the docket. Um, let's see here. What do you, what do you think about your per, your um, participatory budgeting. By the way, what did you think of my conversation with uh, oh, Molly and... Um... Your conversation was great. Yeah, I retweeted it. Uh, I hope some people watch it. Um, you know, me and you have, have talked a decent amount about this because I, I helped them get on the ballot. I helped them get signatures. Um, so yeah, people should watch. If you're, even if you're not clean proper, right? Because that's where this 
conversation is going to evolve into. It's going to, now the Republicans at the state level are going to try and stop any city in Ohio from doing this. So really you should look at that conversation and they're doing another debate on September 26th. Uh, it'll probably be on YouTube. Are you going to be there? Uh, yeah, assuming assuming my wife feels good, yeah, I'm going to go Tuesday night. All right, let me know. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. know Tuesday, it's like 300, first 300 that come. I think it's a limited 300 seats, maybe. I or, thought it was six. 600, okay. Either way, know. yeah. Anyway. It's free tickets, but right. you got to go. get there, yeah. Um, so what happened was, um, I'm not going to lay it out. We've talked about participatory budgeting enough. The city council, it leaked over the weekend that they were trying to put up a piece of city legislation to allow this is after them saying hey we got to spend fiscally wisely we're going to cut jobs if we need to do this complete fear-mongering we need to put money towards a public campaign on citizen initiatives that are on the ballot well people you know went nuts uh, i'm sure it was at city hall it was on twitter you know what uh in axios uh, all the news play cleveland.com and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me that we can't do this participatory budgeting thing because we need to be fiscally responsible. Now you want to use my tax dollars to buy um, postcards, mailers, envelopes, uh, com TV commercials. To run a campaign to against. To run a campaign <laughs> against what me and my neighbor signed to get on the ballot for us to vote for. So they squashed that uh, pretty quickly Oh, within hours. Within it, hours. It was within hours. Within hours. And then within hours of them squashing it, we get word that uh, Senator, uh, State Senator Jerry Serino is going to put up uh, at the state level legislation to preempt municipalities from doing this. And so uh, it, this is a nasty... Doing this meaning participatory budgeting. Doing this being part. And also there's other things on the thing, including they're trying to stop any future for uh, ranked choice voting as well. So he's doing, trying to do other things, but, but we're talking about participatory budgeting right now. So, um, and they do this, by the way, in hundreds, if not over a thousand cities across the globe and hundreds of cities in America. And I don't know if any other in Ohio, if, we, if there are, I haven't heard of them in Ohio, but there are hundreds of other cities in, across America that do this. And so uh, the, the, this is an Orwellian fight. This is a power grab. This is the world evolves. And um, I didn't think that Cleveland City Council was acting in good faith. They may, everybody has their right to vote a certain way on this. I, I do want to take a step back because I don't want to lump in all of Cleveland City Council under that. Because uh, I think that there were some people that were stepping out. They right have, when, they have. They when have. Griff, I think it was Griff that put out this that says we're going to fight with uh, taxpayer money against yeah. participatory budgeting. I, I'm pretty sure like more, more came out more and said, said this wait, is, wait we a can't minute. do this. We can't do this. Right, right. 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 So to say all the city council, yeah. I don't know. Sure, that's but, fair. But, there's, but if you have a familiar, familiarity with how Cleveland operates, whether it be the Q deal or um, uh, the $15 minimum wage, essentially these, these Democrats, and I'm putting it in air quotes, they work with the Republicans at the state level to squash this citizen initiative stuff. And, and Cleveland's in a really rough place. We're number two in the nation in poverty. Uh, the people don't vote in municipal elections and, and things like that. And so it's tough. It, it's just tough again to see, like we laid out the timeline, right? Griff was, the city council president was gonna put this out. Then uh, you're right, Rebecca Moore and even Slife said, you know, oh no, Slife said he's against what they're doing at the state level. Um, not much else beside Moore said there's anything wrong with running the campaign with your tax dollars. Um, and then 
you know, my thought is just because I know Cleveland so well is they made a phone call to, to Jerry Serena and say, hey, we, we're going to lose on this. The people are so fed up with us. You know, we need you, you all to preempt us the way you preempted the minimum wage vote. And so they want to act like, you know, Chris Harsh, uh, Jenny Spencer, Charlie Slife, they want to act like we have tried our best to raise turnout and we don't know how to do it. And we've tried really hard. But you don't understand. The people that came before you took off people getting to vote on should our tax dollars go to the queue, should we make $15 an hour if we work at McDonald's, things like this. Y'all fought to not let the people vote on this in what you call a democracy. And so um, there, there's just, if it's not bad faith, it's just willful ignorance. You know, they want to act like they don't understand why turnout's not, not better. And it, it's just such a bad faith argument. It's such a bad faith argument. Well, my conversation with Chris Harsh, um, and I do another podcast uh, for the county party. It's called Kyle Today. And uh, I had a conversation with Chris Harris, who is against participatory budgeting, and Molly Martin, who is the campaign manager for the People's Budget. Um, and they basically, in 15 minutes apiece, they lay out each of their positions. Um, I thought it was a pretty good conversation. As best they could in 15 minutes. I know both sides have more to say. <clears throat> right. I've heard Harsh talk for an hour on it. I've had private conversations with Molly Martin for more than an hour right, on right. it. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, did I, t did I tell you my, my conversation with Molly afterwards? I don't know. I, and I was, so I was interviewing both of them and, you know, I'm trying to stay neutral because I just wanted them to tell us their side. Right. Yeah. Oh, even, you did a great job. And even, even though me and you, you know, my position, yeah. um, you say you vote against it, if I recall, or you're kind of against it. Oh, I'm against it. Yeah. I'm, I'm against it, but the uh, bureaucracy and the, yeah, the it's spending, just, it, yeah. It's, it's a, it, the friend, the, operations, the friend, friend, operations of is a disaster. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's absolutely horrible. Sorry. But I, I, I was talking to Molly afterwards, and I was like, hey, so you, you're doing the participatory budgeting. Um, you know Ross DeBello. Yeah, you texted me like, about this. She's like, oh, yeah, Ross. I, you're, you're friends with Ross? I'm like, yeah, I talk to Ross like every week, and you know, we, you know, we hang out quite a bit. It's like, oh, I didn't know what side you were on, but since you know Ross now, <laughs> now I know. Yeah, and you I was just, me And that. I bit my tongue. I was like, oh, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. you don't. Well, and that's if you, if you really followed my campaign, uh, my campaign was all about returning power to the people, which means on issue one, this past issue one, the current issue one, participatory budgeting, the people, you, can, you get to vote on issues how you like. You know, it's not, about, it's not about attacking your free will and making you think a certain way, which is kind of what city council wanted to do with the running the campaign out of, they want the vote to go a certain way. I just want people to vote on it. You know, I, I think that people should get to vote on Medicare for all on a $15 minimum wage, you know, term limits that I think the people should run the fucking place. You know what I mean? With their, with our opinions and our education as best we can, because what you have now is kind of oligarchs running the place. Like we talked about with the very first guy and then how Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, Haley tailor their thinking and their words after who donates into their campaigns. And so I think that's gone off the rails and I think that we need to return to democracy. I think now we have a fake democracy, kind of a sham democracy. And so um, I would not tell somebody to vote for participatory budgeting that doesn't want to vote for it because there are bureaucratic issues. There are costs. There are, you know, it's susceptible to the same thing that has happened with city council, which is to say you give jobs and contracts to your friends, to a group of rich people. You know, everything's susceptible to perversion or, um, Corruption, you know, everything's susceptible for that. So uh, I would let people vote the way they want to vote on it. 
Uh, I'm a free will guy, you know, I'm a big Orwell reader. So um, I think Molly is very well-meaning. I think Chris Harsh is, is well-meaning as well, but um, obviously I disagree with him. Uh, I, I don't think these councilmen want this to be the second most poverty in the country. I don't think they want that. I think they're, they're more better well-meaning than that. So um, it's to each their own, and, and we're struggling right now with we're, we're struggling right now with policies for the people. We're struggling with it. So the annual budget of Cleveland is around seven hundred and ten million dollars. The general fund. Budget's one point nine million. So the general fund is uh, seven hundred and ten million dollars. Um, they have one point nine million dollar budget. A well, population, a pretty, pretty big footprint, uh, but only like you said, the population is about what three sixty five or so. Um, look. Cleveland, Cleveland has to do something really, really radical with a long-term plan um, to get out of the hole that it's in. I mean, and I think they were talking about this week about some kind of new um, tax abatement scheme for um, Cleveland in general. Lakefront. All, all of Lakefront, Cleveland in general. Companies come in here, build your shit. Money can stay with you. Just keep building, you know. Just try to move um, um, companies and businesses and people into Cleveland. They're using Columbus as an example because I think Columbus did the same thing to how they started their building. And Columbus, is, I think, is almost it's, it's brushing up on a million people in, in Columbus proper. Um, so, look, uh, I don't know if this is a radical move. I think it's radical for, for Bib in that statement because I, I don't think that this was something that was, he spoke about during his campaign. Yes. No, no, no. So that and that's part of um, kind of another thing that's making me mad about it is is Bib more Richard Starr. Um, obviously myself, another candidate, Ayat Amin, she was against um, Kerry McCormick. There was a group of us that came out because um, ARPA, we were getting 510 or $514 million from the federal government. There was a group of us that came out for participatory budgeting. Now you could say, oh, I only came out in this form of it or something like that. Well, the point of it is we're trying to involve the people because they're done voting, they're done with the politicians bullshit. You know, they want their taxes spent a little bit differently. Uh, and we know that p politicians have struggled with these handouts and this the way they deal with taxes. Um, there's a bunch of us that came out and said we're for what the poverty rate was at that time. 30.8% of Clevelanders were in poverty. We're for 30.8 million of this money going toward participatory budgeting. And so now it's unanimous. Those who won, go figure, and were very well funded, had a lot of uh, earned media and paid for media. Now they've all flip-flopped on it. They've all flip-flopped on it. And so um, it's, it's just a tough time to get for people to feel like uh, they got anybody fighting for them. They got anybody fighting for them. Like I said, you know, Cleveland has to do something really radical to, to change this course. Um, the potential of Cleveland is, and the infrastructure of Cleveland is, is there for a million people. It's there for an amazing waterfront. It's there I, for transportation. There for the transportation and innovation. And uh, manufacturing, mm -hmm. I mean, it's here between Cleveland proper and the suburbs. There is so much potential, but somebody's going to really have to weed out corruption, spend money wisely, um, have a long-term plan, and really uh, just... Yeah. just and, and, and maybe we glossed over it a little bit, but, but the word, I, and I know I, I criticize Cleveland a lot. I ran for mayor. The, the, what they're now doing at the state level, the Republicans at the state level, is fucking dirty. It's, it's dirty, and so people need to pay attention about it because they're coming for your municipality too. They're coming for your municipality. They don't want you to have much of a say over your tax dollars except, oh, you got to vote. Did you vote? 
Did you, oh, you voted these guys in? Well, you voted for them. You voted for them. That's your say, nothing else. You know, and so what the Republicans are doing at the state level, very, very, very dirty. I, I, and so I don't want to gloss over that. Last thing we have on our docket today is there we have new maps. We have new maps. They're not final, but I think they're these are the ones. Congressional maps have um, basically been set to the same maps as uh, last time. So um, I don't see much changing in terms of who's going to be elected in terms of U.S. Congress. There might be some challenges in Ohio's first district when it comes to landsman actually the guy who's running as land landsman is, is that cincinnati that's cincinnati yeah yeah he's he's a younger guy he's a vet um he seems like he's a very he's, he's good looking you know uh family man and so on and so forth it's gonna be an interesting race i mean yeah. uh, landsman pulled it off but he was in, uh, against uh what was his name um oh, i don't know stricker no no uh, i can't remember if it was tabit or shabit or Oh Cabot yeah, or, Shabbat or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. I, mean, it's, 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 I don't I'm know how you it. pronounce his name. Yeah. Long story short, is is that he pulled off a win, and now I think it, that could be a little bit like, oh, let's see what happens, because Cincinnati is one of those places. Since it's right there next to Kentucky, there's a lot of like more of like a southern oh, influence. Yeah. It's like it, it, it's a it's a Cincinnati's always been red from my recollection until just recently. Right, right. So it, it, they're they're a very purple city. A very purple city, so that's interesting. And there might be a challenger to um, uh, um, Marcy Captor. Um, I don't think that's going to be much of a challenge. The same district she really cleaned up last time. She's a incumbent. She knows how to campaign. Um, but it's pretty much going to be the same same thing. It was taking some time to, time to do the state maps, the state house, state senate. Um, they released some maps this week uh, on Wednesday. Uh, they released it to the public on Friday. And it basically changes the landscape to actually a little bit more favorable to the Democrats, we think. It looks like uh, Republicans have gerrymandered this to have, for the Republicans to pick up 62 of 99 House districts. Right now they hold uh, 67 House seats. Um, the Senate is distributed to that the Republicans will pick up 23 of 33. Right now they hold 26 of those House seats. So realistically, on paper, um, the Democrats could pick up a couple seats here and there. Um, but at the same time, the way that it was dr drawn before, I think it was drawn that it was 56 House seats for the Republicans, but they actually have 67. So I, on paper, it looks like it's favoring that the Democrats could gain a couple seats, but we will have to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that these, um, these maps and just the, the machines that are in place, the RNC, the DNC, um, both statewide and, and at the national level uh, is not going to change. It's going to be a super majority Republican, no matter how the, the final numbers end up shaking out. But I think, um, you know, this thing in Cleveland and stuff nationally with Joe Biden, I, I know we're going to get to talk about it as weeks go on. This might be a good place to end about it. But the Sherrod Brown election and, and these the Marcy Captor, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going to be on the ballot, we think. And so... Uh, Sherrod Brown can be in trouble if Joe Biden doesn't, you know, like this strike issue, if Joe Biden doesn't come out and start standing with real folk, you know, I know they're talking about um, nixing some people's medical debt and stuff. That's good. Um, if the Democrats don't start working for people, that could, that, that could be very, very, very dominant to the Republican side here in 2024. So I'm... Uh, I'm worried about hardcore supermajorities and sure. I think, first of all, I think Sherrod Brown should have to face a tough primary, but 
I, I think that's wish, wishful thinking on my part. But um, I think he's in trouble. I think he's in trouble with the way that things are headed. But is in trouble? Sherrod Brown. Oh, Brown's in trouble. Yeah. Ah, man, I was just talking to somebody today about that. And it's, does, oh, does the DNC and D-Trip come into Ohio? They stayed out of Ohio. So a lot of people are writing Ohio off um, because of the past couple of elections and how it's going for Trump. And the DNC and the D-Trip has not been in the state, you know, putting the, you know, the ground game together, giving money, you know, and all that national support and being part of that. But um, remember, Sherrod Brown is part of the, the banking finance committee. He's the chair of it. Um, that's a very important role. Um, I do not see the DNC and the DCCC turning away from Ohio in this. Therefore, I think that if they come into Ohio, the trickle down, um, the trickle down um, response from Democrats uh, will start assured and you might see a little bit of a pull across all, all boards. Um, it, it all depends if the DNC comes in or not. So I don't know if it's actually a bad thing or a good thing for Sherrod, but remember, I don't think we've actually seen a really big um, commitment to Ohio in a long time. And so if we do get no, that commitment, Obama, if we do get that commitment, I don't, I don't want to write it off yet. Well, yeah, no, no, that, that's why I think it'll be interesting, and we'll keep going on it, and, and hopefully we'll have some bets on these, uh, who's Boebert and, and, and some of these other candidates, but um, I just think... Did I ever pay you that 20 bucks? I don't know you did. I don't think I did. But you I, paid for dinner that one night? I did, but then you bought the ticket. Yeah, yeah. But that was totally separate, and we yeah. said that we are going to take it separate, and I haven't even went to go see well, that damn movie yet. I know, me neither. I hope it's still in theaters, but... Um, I, I just think it's going to be hard. Me and you know Ohio very well, and I think we we would bet our lives that that Trump would be Biden by you know five to eight points or something like that. And what that whoa, means whoa, is, whoa, 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 I am betting my life on all that shit. Remember, I we have bet bets, my life on politics. We have either, bets but, coming up, and uh, we have to get yeah, through the primary first. Uh, I want to see what happens yeah. in um, in Iowa and all these things. Look, I I am what, not what, even betting that Trump's going to be the I'm the not, candidate. Okay, yes, you shouldn't bet your life on anything, let alone politics, but. What I'm saying is I know Ohio very well. If it's Trump versus Biden, I think there's a fair certainty. Oh, you're certainty. talking about in, in, in Ohio? Yeah. Oh, Trump, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So what that yeah. requires, for Sherrod Brown, what that requires to mean for him to win is for 5 to 8% of, of Trump voters to, to go Democrat on their Senate ballot, to, to be a Trump-Brown voter. And so that's, uh, that's hard math for him. That's hard math for him. Look, long story short, um, is that um, the, the Republicans have a very weak ticket. It's either the Rose or Marino or um, who's the other guy? Oh, uh, Dolan. Dolan, yeah. Honestly, Dolan's out already because he's just running a bad campaign. Yeah, they had a weak ticket the last time, and Vance beat Ryan by 8%. Now, I know what you're saying. Democrats didn't pour a bunch of money into it. Again, they weren't here. Yeah. They, but, were, they weren't but here. And, it was, Ryan, and they beat Ryan by 10%. Okay. I think, so, so, I I mean, think it was like Ohio 55, is, 45. Ohio is changing. And you saw with the 57, 43, there's a large amount of people that are fed up with politicians. And Sherrod Brown's been a politician for a long time now. So it'll be his math. His, the, again, with Trump on the ballot, his math's going to be tough. I can, I, I, I'm excited for 2024. Not only because I'm going to have a baby, but these elections. <laughs> All right, Ross, I'll talk to you. See you, man.